You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Welcome back to Water Flying. I'm Abby Kellett, a flight instructor in seaplanes and assistant to Steve McCaughey, executive director here at the Seaplane Pilots Association. And as always, as we start the episode, we would like to thank our sponsors, and that's all of you, the members of the Seaplane Pilots Association. You've shown real dedication to helping us achieve our mission of protecting and promoting water flying. If you're not already a member, we'd like to invite you to give us a call at 863-701-7979 or visit our website, seaplanes.org. That's S-E-A-P-L. A-N-E-S.org to join or renew your membership because those membership dollars are critical to help us achieve our mission. This podcast is just one of the ways we want to communicate with you, our listeners, and the members. So you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also email us at spa at seaplanes.org. So today we're going to mix things up a little bit. Those of you that are regular listeners have a little feel of who we are as individuals. (laughs) Who are we, Steve? Who the heck are we? (laughs) So today, Abby and I would like to take uh, a little bit of time to introduce ourselves and give you a little bit more background about why and how we're here. So if you've been listening to the show, you have some idea of who we are and what our background is, but we want to give you a more complete picture. So honestly, uh, I can tell you that Abby and myself are doing this weekly podcast and working for SPA because of our love of seaplane flying. I mean, it just comes down to that. We really enjoy and love flying seaplanes. And it's important that we exercise this passion by working to promote and protect the water flying community. So I think it's important to point out, you know, the reason this podcast came around was, you know, in the time of COVID and not being able to communicate. I know Steve, you know, he's anxious to get back to the trade shows and really talk to everyone. (laughs) Like, you know, because you're doing, I mean, safety seminars, like you're on the road. And so not being able to talk to people and get that feedback, it's, I imagine it's been an unusual year for you. Yeah. You know, I don't know if people realize, but I mean, on average, I'm on the road at least every single month of the year. There's very rarely a month where I'm not traveling somewhere doing a trade show or doing advocacy, working with regulators and lawmakers um, and doing safety seminars and workshops. You know, I do physically about 50 workshops a year on average uh, in a non-COVID affected year. And um, I am, I'm, I'm anxious to get back in the game. We just missed the, <laughs> missed the uh, Alaska Airmen Show up in uh, Palmer, Alaska this year, and I didn't get to go. It's the last event before we go back into full gear uh, coming out of COVID. And I tell you, it was hard not to go to Alaska. And that was a nice cub that they auctioned off. It was. <laughs> I wanted I, to see it. Despite the fact that I buy five or 10 tickets every year, and I have for the last 20 years up there, I still haven't won it. But since I own a Super Cub. There's always next year, Steve. There's always next year. So getting back to, you know, kind of the reason the podcast came about is because it's another way to communicate with the public. You know, it's something we're trying to promote water flying and, you know, it's nothing anyone needs to be anxious about. You know, talking to people that aren't seaplane pilots or are seaplane pilots. It's just it's a different way of of communicating with people. We've tried to make the show where it's really well balanced between some, you know, kind of more... Uh, entertainment content, but really uh, the majority of the content is educational and informative from a standpoint of bringing people on that are working with the Seaplane Pilots Association that are helping us achieve our mission, telling people more about seaplanes than they may not know, and also trying to give more information to owner operators and our members on ways uh, they can get involved and also how to operate seaplanes and the the topics that are affecting them, uh, not only today, but as we move forward I know that I've learned quite a bit you know all the guests that we've had on and just the wealth of experience I mean we talked to Mark Grassi today and just I mean Don Lee just there's so much information from this community and so we want to share that with you guys and it's been a real 
kind of an eye-opening adventure uh, to start this podcast, see the success. Here we are, you know, 17,500 listeners later uh, in the podcast, but also to go through this journey of fulfilling a, a kind of a desire to have more outreach with the members and to talk to them more and to get them to hear these stories through yet another vehicle uh, other than the magazine and the email newsletters and our other vehicles in a COVID year, the podcast came around and it's really been a exciting way for us to get more communication with the members. It has been, it has been. So I, I think we want to go into just a little bit more in depth of who we are as people. And, you know, I know Steve is the executive director. I'm assistant to the executive director. You hear that at the beginning of every episode. <laughs> so there isn't really a question of our titles here. But kind of how we came into this and how we started this journey in, in seaplanes and aviation as a whole. So I think we're going to start off with Steve. So kind of, um, you know, we've gotten to work together since September. So I've been here nine months since I came on with the Seaplane Pilots Association. And so, you know, Steve and I have gotten to communicate. And we've really just, we've gotten a good feel for who each other is, you know, as a pilot, as an aviator. And, you know, Steve, you got an interesting story there, you know, how you started out. <laughs> Well, some people have heard the story many times, it's a good <laughs> depending <story. laughs> how much they've been around me. Uh, but it is, I enjoy telling the story because I, I just want it to be inspirational for other people. So if there's young listeners out there that are just starting their journey, I want to let them know that, you know, how I, uh, where I went and how I got there. But also it hopefully is a little bit interesting to people to learn about just again, how long this pursuit has been going on for me. So when literally, um, when I was in fifth grade and 10 years old in 1977, uh, I had a friend, Michael Wagner. His dad was an airline pilot for National Airlines. He was flying from Miami to Lima, Peru. And for some reason, even though my family had no interest in aviation that lit a spark in me and I had to memorize every specification of every airliner that was operating at the time I collected there used to, you won't know about these Abby because you weren't alive yet but they used to have these little booklets with the airline schedules and all the places they flew I had to collect all of those I had to collect all the postcards of all the airplanes that the airlines were flying you know most kids are doing like playing like baseball cards and the spokes and everything that's a different route that you took at 10 yeah it was it was pretty intense um and so uh this is pre-computer so i hand typed 200 letters to every airline i could get a name and an address for when i was 10 years old and i introduced myself Look, my name is Steve McCoy. I'm 10 years old. I'd like to pursue aviation as a living. I would really appreciate any advice that you could give me, anything that you could help me on my journey to pursue aviation as a career at 10 years old. I don't think people realize, you know, when when you do have young people reaching out, and I think this is a good this is a good moment for our seaplane pilots. You know, if you have young people that are interested let them sit in your airplane and, and take them around and show them what you do because you don't know what that's going to do for some kids. Yeah, I mean, I've never looked back and I, I think it's important that we realize as our pilot numbers are in decline, especially our seaplane pilot numbers, that this is when my journey began and this is the importance of imprinting on someone that this is a possibility mm -hmm. before they get imprinted to go take another path. Sure. Um, for me, I started at 10. I never looked back. Uh, the only thing I didn't do was pursue the airlines. But uh, importantly, out of those 200 letters that I hand typed, I got a response from 146 of the airlines. Wow. And I got a personal package and handwritten letter from the CEO of Delta, Eastern, and Braniff. Really? So, and I still have those packages and those letters. I was going to ask. <laughs> and they made, a, obviously, a pretty big impression on me. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Pretty so I, I, number one, if you're listening and you're young, please pursue. I would love to talk to you. I'll do everything I can to help you pursue your journey. And then number two, if you have someone of this age that is expressing an interest in aviation, by all means, help them pursue their journey. Um, you could it, find another Steve McCoy. Another <laughs> Steve McCoy. <laughs> the next one. 
<laughs> so, what about what about seaplanes though? So that's general aviation. You know, you're you're learning all the specs of these airliners, and I mean, how did how did seaplanes come into that? So literally, you know, I I was working twenty hours a week in high school uh, to get the one to afford taking a single flight lesson. Again, my parents didn't help me. They weren't overly supportive of me pursuing it. They weren't going to discourage it, but they weren't going to financially or otherwise uh, help me with it. So I was literally working 20 hours a week, um, started my PPL uh, student pilot at 15. And uh, as soon as I got my private pilot license, uh, I did my complex high performance. I did my tailwheel and I came up to Brown's and did my single agency rating with uh, John Brown. So I started that immediately uh, and graduated high school, ended up going into special operations in the uh, U.S. Air Force and did uh, research and development on electronics electronic warfare systems a lot of stuff i can't talk about uh came out went back to college for aviation management and and marketing and professional pilot um and also went to work at the world's largest aerobatic school pompano air center at the time which was a magical magical time to be there and uh kind of started this uh i guess journey of going into non-standard aviation fields and sure. experiences <laughs> i think that's kind of the the overarching theme like if you could define your your journey as any one thing your career as any one thing it's definitely unique yeah you know i by the time i started getting you know 16 17 years old i was thinking more about you know what this pursuit was going to look like and you know, no, no offense to airline pilots, but I kind of decided that I didn't want to fly at 40,000 feet on autopilot sure. that I wanted to, I wanted to develop my airmanship skills uh, to the highest level that I could. And I wanted to be physically in control of the airplane at all times. And I wanted to do really unique things. And quite honestly, I wanted to chase dreams. I wanted to fly warbirds. I wanted to fly seaplanes. I wanted to do bush flying. And I've done all of that. I've landed on, you know, riverbeds endless times, um, pursued quite a few seaplanes and got to participate in the aerobatic world and work with people like Patty Wagstaff at the beginning yes. of her pursuit of becoming the first female national champion. So just you know, kind of a pitch for Patty Wagstaff. You know, she has a, a course that she does up at St. Augustine. St. Augustine. I've taken her course. That was a Christmas present one year. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. The knowledge that she has. And she has an instructor, Alan. Alan. Absolutely stellar. I mean, there is so much you can learn just... Even if you're not in aerobatics, just getting yourself out of an unusual attitude. Everyone should probably know how to do that if you plan on leaving the ground in an airplane. Yeah, we were just actually I was just talking about it, recommending her course uh, yesterday with a member over at Amphibians Plus. And uh, I had the great, you know, one of the very last things I did before we shut down for COVID was go back and do some more flying with Alan and, and Patty and I got to fly, which was just just great people. It's nice just people. it's just amazing. I mean. All I can do is encourage people to go the extra mile and to chase your dreams. And that's what I've done. And literally, uh, when I came out of the military with this top secret clearance and there was this company that I was seeing all over all the magazines at the time, Pompano Air Center was on the cover of every magazine with these big center spreads because they were the largest aerobatic school in the world. They had three-time national champion. Clint McHenry is their chief instructor. They were the largest pits distributor in the world. They were the largest extra distributor in the world. And they controlled manufacturing of the Sukhoi, which was the hottest airplane at the time. And I remember going into Brian Becker's office. He had no idea who I was. I, I asked if I could see Brian Becker because I had read about him in the magazines. And um, I, I was ushered into his office and I introduced myself and I, I'll never forget it. And uh, I'm so thankful because that day changed so much of this journey. And I walked in and I said, Brian, my name is Steve McCoy. Um, I've been following what's been going on here at Pompano Air Center. I have to be a part of what's going on here. You must hire me. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and I'll never forget when I, uh, when I was selected for the position as executive director, um, Brian ignited my passion so much by reading the stories about what was going on at that aerobatic school and all the magazines when I was in the military. 
it, and it just made me, I had to be a, a part. I had to see, get, get into the hub of the air show industry. And so when I was selected for this position, I, I wrote Brian a, a letter and I said, you know, you inspired myself and obviously countless other pilots with, with what you did with Pompano Air Center. Now I hope to pick up and do my part as executive director to inspire other people, which is why we're doing this podcast, which is why I travel so much, which is why we're doing everything that we're doing with the member adventures and everything else is I want to inspire other people the way that other people inspired me. And sharing that love, you know, just sharing that love of aviation. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It is. It really is. So I know we had talked a little bit earlier. So going through, you you have an interesting accumulation of aircraft that you've flown, especially seaplanes. So almost all the Pipers, all the Cessna models, yes. all the Grumman models. All but the Widgeon right now. Okay, all but the Widgeon. Um, Icon, Sea Ray. Uh, I mean, just an interesting roster. What do you think is um, your favorite? <laughs> There is no favorite. There they're is no all, favorite. I like that. They're, they're all interesting for their own reasons. I have an obsession with the Grumman Albatross. Uh, <laughs> Why, Steve? <laughs> it is such an amazing airplane. It is so large. It makes so much noise. <laughs> um, looking out at the big radial engine and the spinning propeller from the pilot seat, and just looking over your left shoulder and seeing that big radio engine there and that spinning propeller, I'm going to well up with tears just saying this because that is such an amazing experience. And as a pilot, the most rewarding thing to look at that massive engine and spinning prop there. And it's such a physical airplane to fly. You um, are in control of it. It's just, it's a satisfying feeling, you know, when, when you take the reins and it is, it is your skill set. That you're, is keeping you right side You're up. flying a seaplane <laughs> that has a gross weight of 36,000 pounds and a 100-foot wingspan. And you have it in your hands. And, and you're, I mean, and it's, how cool is And that? it is a handful to fly. Yeah. And the other thing that's a real shame to me, and I, I've talked about this with some of our other people that are albatross type rated and that have had the albatross experience, um, is that I really find it a tragedy that so few people have had the experience of flying a Grumman albatross in the water or even being a passenger because it is such an amazing experience and so few people have got to do it. And so because of that reason, I wanted to make sure that we did our wedding in a Grumman Albatross. <laughs> he says we as if it's he and I. Um, no. I'd like to point out it's not he and I. No. Steve has a lovely wife, Mary. Um, so yeah, he and Mary, this is a great story. So getting married in a Grumman Albatross. So when I met Mary, you know, the uh, there's this, you know, it's all a story, Um I bought her an engagement ring and then she turned around and said, well, what are you buying? It's time for you to buy your first airplane. Um, <laughs> so she facilitated the purchase of my first airplane, which was a Cessna 1947 Cessna 120 that we still own, Penelope. And uh, Penelope has been from, uh, we bought her in Pensacola and actually Pace, Florida, and took her down to Fort Lauderdale, flew her for many years down there, and then took her to Northern California with us and flew her for 10 years out in Northern California. And then when I moved back here, she came back here. So Penelope's been all over. She's landed in Riverbed. She's flown in the Redwoods. She's done mountain flying with her little C-85. <laughs> Uh, and she's just, uh, I'm, I just love her to death and I, I really probably should pass her on at this point, but I can't because I, I just, uh, it's another one of those airplanes that I have a huge sense of stewardship for keeping her alive. Sure. But when I met Mary, the story was, um, I said, you know, so, you know, if we get married, I, I have to warn you, I'm going to want to get married in a Grumman Albatross in flight. <laughs> And uh, she said, sounds great. Let's do sounds it. <laughs> you got a good one. Mary's a good one. And, and I said, well, before you say that that fast, we need to go up and fly one so you really understand what you're getting yourself into. And so uh, we had a couple Grumman albatrosses in Fort Lauderdale at the time, and I arranged for us to go fly one. And we went out and did touch and goes in Lake Okeechobee and came back and she was she was all in. Mm -hmm. 
And then we moved to Northern California and I was like, well, now what? You know, we've lost our access to these airplanes. What, do, you know, what are we going to do? But So uh, you hadn't gotten married by that point? No, we Okay, hadn't. so you'd gone for the flight in the Albatross on Lake Okeechobee, then you moved to California. Yeah, okay. so we went out there and I was worried that we were getting rid of this amazing aviation community or getting separated from this amazing aviation community that I grew up in in South Florida. And uh, but we reached out to Dennis Buen at uh, American Warbirds in Carson City, Nevada, and said, "I've got this idea. I want to get married in a Grumman Albatross." And it was the weekend before Thanksgiving in two thousand. And he said, "Well, why don't you come meet Thanksgiving dinner with us in Carson City, and we'll talk about it." And by the end of Thanksgiving dinner, we had a plan. And in February of 2001, we got together with a bunch of the other albatrosses um, in Boulder City, uh, Nevada, where they do their annual recurrent training. And um, we took off out of Lake Mead and did our wedding ceremony over the Grand Canyon. That's pretty neat. (laughs) I've seen the pictures. The pictures are pretty cool. Came back and landed on the lake. It was a big weekend affair. Uh, we had six albatrosses in the water at the wedding and 20 seaplanes, and you could you could only get there by boat or seaplane. And uh, they brought in albatross load after albatross load of firewood, and we had brought like 30 pounds of fresh salmon from Northern California, and um, we made a big bonfire on the beach after the uh, wedding and made salmon and margaritas and told seaplane stories till the sun came up the next morning. <laughs> that's like that's the epitome of you know a seaplane wedding i mean just yeah pretty much everything there. <laughs> good grief so what about you know so you get married 2001 it's it's an it's a real cool story i like that story i like the pictures seeing those two how did you eventually make your way to spa i know you've been you were the ad guy before you came on as executive director yeah so um uh we were we had a business called Strange Birds that I kind of put into hibernation when I came to SPA, and we were exactly that, Strange Birds. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> everything other than Cessna 172s and commercial airliners, uh, everything that we thought was interesting, experimental airplanes, aerobatic airplanes, warbirds, uh, classic airplanes, and uh, bush flying and seaplanes and, and all of that stuff. So we were developing products and working with like the Discovery Channel, and we were working on books and television shows uh, to help uh, do everything that was non-standard aviation. And we were advertising our company and Waterfly magazine and got a call one day uh, from Mike Volk, the executive director, and he said, we've lost our ad guy, uh, so I'll be handling your account until we find a replacement. And I said, well, don't look any further. I should take over the advertising for the magazine. And uh, you found your guy. Do you have he, any experience? I think, no. he, I, I, yeah, I think he about fell off his chair laughing <laughs> because uh, he, he asked me, you know, what magazines and what publications I had worked on. And I said, well, none. I've never done this before, but I'm your guy. So, uh, you know, long story short, uh, Mike hired me uh, and I started working with the association uh, that way. But I had already been a long term member uh, many, many years before that. And uh, the association was going through some ups and downs, and our business was at a place in 2011 um, when the position for executive director came uh, open. And I literally looked at my wife again, Mary, and I said, Mary, um, I think the timing's right. I think I should try to be the executive director. And she said, I think you should. So we literally put our house for sale and I had a trailer packed two months before they offered the position. And because I was like, I own it. It's mine. I've, I've <laughs> got to do it. And so I was ready uh, when we got the call. And I was literally that serious. I mean, we literally put our house for sale two months before the position was offered. Wow. With the intent of coming here and, and running SPA. Dang, <laughs> And so you've been in the position of executive director for 12 years? Going, going on 10 years this year. 10 years, okay. Yeah, okay. We're right at 10 years right now. So you were the ad guy for eight years before that, came on as executive director 10 years ago. So how's it been? <laughs> it's been an amazing journey. It's the honor of a lifetime because I get to do what I love more than anything in the world, which is promote 
the world of water flying and to tell my stories and to work with people and share my passion for water flying and, and for aviation. And to be able to be given a stage to do that and to be able to make that your life's work for me is the greatest gift anyone could have ever given me. I get that. I get that. So, you know, you, you've been here, you've been in this position for a decade. Where, where would you like to see the association go from here? What do you see for the future? Oh, I've got so much more got to do. so many ideas. <laughs> so I've, I can speak to this actually. So it's been nine months. I've worked here since September of 2020. And there's just, there are big plans. I'm really excited to be a part of it. There's just, there's so much happening at this organization. And it's, it's just got a break. Well, look at just since you've been here, we've started the podcast. Mm-hmm. We've grown the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a new website online mm-hmm. now. Mark came on as the head of the water landing directory, head of the field director. We've been transitioning the volunteer program yep. and expanding it. And, mm-hmm. and we've got the best board. I have to say we've got the best board SPA has ever had. And I'm so proud of our staff because we have a lot of long, we have a very small staff and really the history with nonprofits, if you look at nonprofits as a, as a industry or as a, uh, you know, a kind of a, a career path, the average nonprofit staff doesn't have a, a very long tenure with their nonprofits. And Anne has been with our organization now 20 over years. 20 years. Wow. Uh, Mark and I both started working. Mark uh, Twombly, the editor of the magazine, and I both started in 2003 working uh, with SPA. And so, you know, we each have 18 years uh, working with the association. So that's 36 years between the two of you plus Anne. So there's, there's 56 56 years years with three employees, three employees, um, which is just amazing. So uh, hats off to the staff and their longevity and the commitment that Anne's had over the years. And, uh, you know, it's funny because when I talk about the aerobatic school, I can remember Mark Twombly, who was the editor of AOPA magazine, pilot magazine at the time, uh, coming to Pompano Air Center to do articles on the aerobatic school. Really? <laughs> and he, and I was just a line boy and running the front desk and things like that. And Mark was the editor of the magazine. And, you know, all these years, look at where we've come, where we're, we're still working together, um, you know, 30 years later. And he's gone from being like this, you know, on the pinnacle as the, as the editor of the largest aviation magazine in the world to now being a coworker and a partner in our journey, mm-hmm. which is just incredible. I'm still pretty starstruck by Mark. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I'm sorry. So my dad, when he, he wrote an article for Mark as, you know, he works at Fantasy of Flight. So it's the largest collection of vintage aircraft, privately owned vintage aircraft in the world by Kermit Weeks. And I don't, I honestly don't know what the article was. I'll have to ask dad again, but dad always said, yeah, Mark Twombly, Mark Twombly. And so when I actually got to meet Mark, I was very nervous. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's Mark Twombly. And he's so laid back and he's such he a great is. guy. And, and again, is. his passion for aviation and his dedication, he puts in so much more time and has ever since I've known him for SPA beyond what he gets paid. Uh, he only gets paid to do the magazine, but he shows up at the events again all across mm-hmm. the country with us. He gives me so much extra time in the association, so much extra time and energy and passion. And he cares so deeply about the association as well. And so it's just a really nice when you have this amazing team and you're the latest edition of it, uh, which is just incredible. I'm the baby edition. <laughs> yeah. So my one year anniversary, um, I'm not asking for a party, <laughs> but Steve always brings me food. So I'm figuring he'll bring me some kind of a treat. It'll be my one year anniversary. So I, I mean, this is, huh. I, I obviously have a shorter story just because of my life being, you're not so senior yeah i'm i don't say that steve no just because i am younger in age so you no know, gray hair yet no gray hair yet i do i am a cfi though yes. so not gonna lie every once in a while i'll i'll look and i'm like oh man <laughs> that that landing today though <laughs> just immediately white hair but it's it's been an interesting journey for me um Yeah. So how did your whole aviation journey start? Enough about me. (laughs) You have so much though, you know, and with this organization, I'm just coming at it like, all right, for that a little bit. (laughs) 
So dad working at Fantasy of Flight up in Polk City, Florida. And, you know, it's it's a very hot area of aviation. You know, you've got the hot air balloons to the north. You've got the gliders. You've got the, I don't know if they're doing like gyroplanes over in Zephyr Hill. So it's just a very hot and area. And seaplanes, obviously. And seaplanes here. here, you know. Um, and then Tavares, you know, you have America's seaplane city. So it's just a very hot area of aviation activity. So it's always kind of been around. And then obviously fantasy of flight being surrounded by all these vintage aircraft. And, and your dad literally building these vintage aircraft and sometimes in the living room (laughs) so we we couldn't always eat dinner at the table because there was a wing on the table (laughs) which was fine um but you know just seeing his craftsmanship and i he's just such a cool guy and his eye for detail he's you're watching him cover a wing he's the world war one woodworking expert And so he, the angles and the math that goes into this. Well, and it's funny because, I mean, I worked with Kermit mm-hmm. and we were out at uh, St. Petersburg for the, the, Benoit, the yeah. Benoit for the 100 year anniversary, mm-hmm. the very first commercial airline flight, which was a seaplane. Mm-hmm. And I got to, I had no idea that I was witnessing your father's work at the time. That was so, his baby. Yeah. I mean, an entire wooden hole. And that's dad's specialty is is wooden aircraft. So he, I'm, there, I think, I don't know if it's that one, but there's been aircraft that he's worked on. I think he's working on a standard J1 right now. There's aircraft that he's worked on, no plans, no blueprints. I mean, he's reading as much as he can and talking to, you know, the Smithsonian or whoever he thinks has information. So, so you came, cool you guy. came out of this stroller with a tailwheel on it. <laughs> we had a little, a little wooden bike. That was an airplane that dad built. And so you sit in it and you pedal and it's an airplane. And it's funny because um, if you pedal and you hit mom's ankle just right, you know, you really take her down. So um, we weren't good kids. Nice. Yeah, it was really painful. Don't mess with Abby. If you weren't looking, like it really, it hurt a lot. So that was pretty interesting. I've been around aviation, um, but never really thought I would go into it. There were, there were always other options. But in high school, I had the opportunity to apply for the James C. Ray Scholarship. Wow. So that's available to Polk County. I think it's only Polk County, Central Florida. Um, High school students of a certain age. And obviously, you have to meet this criteria. And I got to say, you know, someone as generous as that man who has funded countless millions and millions of dollars. Oh, my gosh. If you're at Sun and Fun, you know, there's a James C. Ray Road. Yes, there's a high school there that it was funded with his help. The Central Florida Aerospace Academy. I mean, just what he has done for education could make anyone absolutely tear up. He helped to build the beautiful EAA Mm -hmm. uh, Chapter 1240 hangar down at Sebring. Uh, mm-hmm. as well, which uh, our chairman of uh, Hill Lockwood is very uh, closely attached to. And uh, our friend Story Musgrave has been involved with. So um, yeah, James really has been a force and uh, what a legacy he left behind Honestly. when he when he left. So, Unfortunately passed. So James know. helped you mm-hmm. on your on your path. So and, you know, just I'd like to take a second to really, you know, the scholarships and I wouldn't be a pilot if it wasn't for that scholarship. I don't think people realize what scholarships can do for someone. I mean, you're talking about 10 years old and, you know, that's where your journey started and where your passion was sort of ignited. But I didn't have the money for any passion to be ignited. Mm -hmm. So I was a full-time high school student. I'm taking AP classes. I physically don't have the time to go get a job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if anyone's anyone's trying to, you know, get their PPL now, I'm sure you're aware it's... very expensive. I was just talking to someone yesterday and they said, uh, oh, I went to the the local airport and uh, I think their prices were pretty high. They wanted $7,500 to do uh, private pilot. Are you kidding? That's great. That's a great I said, number. that's totally unrealistic. <laughs> if, if, you know, get that in writing and make them commit to it mm-hmm. because it, you know, mm-hmm. I can remember when I did mine, I think it was $2,900. And I think at the time Browns was doing single engine C ratings for $295. Wow. Um, And it, you know, it was challenging even then though. I mean, you have to realize when I I was working to pay for the lessons, I was making $2 and 35 cents an hour uh, working. So So it's hard. It's definitely hard. And I, I'd like to comment on people that 
like to say scholarships are a handout. You know, they're people that that are just sitting there and not doing anything and they don't want to put the work in. They just want people to give them money. I want you to know I worked my butt off for that scholarship to get the scholarship in the first place. You know, I kept my grades up. I did extracurriculars. I made myself an applicant that they were going to entrust with. I think it was like 9,500. I don't even know. $10,000. I think you could do 12, but then you had to volunteer for a certain amount of time. And I just didn't have the time for that. So I want to say it was at least $10,000 that went towards my private pilot. I didn't have $10,000 at 17 to put towards my private pilot. So I wouldn't be a pilot if it wasn't for that scholarship. And people that are applying for scholarships and using their scholarships, good for you. You worked your absolute butt off to get there. And you are more than deserving of the scholarship that you got. You know, and especially with me kind of having to fight my way through sure. to get the ratings. And and literally, I mean, I parked cars. I mm-hmm. I was like a banner boy. I, I did every job I could. I mowed every yard on the on our street sure. uh, to do anything I could to make money for those lessons. So I really appreciated that. And one of the greatest honors of being the executive director and one of the very first things I did is we had a tragic accident um, where we lost two very good friends. And I created the, uh, with the help of, of, uh, Terry Hayes and, uh, Andrea Edge, uh, we created a scholarship, uh, back in 2011, 2012 in memory of, of some loved ones that we lost. And one of the greatest honors I've ever had is the fact that we've created this scholarship to help young people do it. And every time I give one of those awards, which is a zero cost, seaplane rating, including the check ride. Again, what a gift. And so, you know, it's, it's great to see your perspective as a scholarship recipient. And if you have any funding that you can spare to f- help us fund these scholarships, we are awarding them to people that are go-getters, that are deserving, that are working in the aviation world, you know, as young people. So, um, uh, it's it's just great to have you on as a recipient and then know that, you know, that's the importance of the programs that we've created with the Tyler Orzo Chuck Times Memorial Scholarship and now the Lyft Scholarship. And we're working on a new one now. Absolutely. So, you know, it's we want people to experience the joy of seaplane flying and it's not always financially feasible for people. They don't necessarily have a couple thousand dollars laying around for them to do this add on rating. But it's so valuable. I mean, we've spoken on it multiple times on this po- on this podcast about what it can do for you and how it can aid your flying in your career. And just, you know, I, I I won't stop speaking on it. You know, the scholarships. My my job to get that scholarship. You know, similar to Steve. You know, you worked you worked to actually get the money for your training. I worked to get my grades up. I took you know advanced placement courses. I did everything I could to make myself an applicant. To make to get the scholarship, so they're just two different journeys. Yeah, I don't I don't know why anyone needs to shut either one down. Well, and so. and I have to tell you, I was in the advanced and AP classes, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'm, I'm I don't tell this story very often, but my grades suffered. I mean, all mm-hmm. of my peers had better grades than I had in high school, uh, but I was already chasing other things. Right. By the time I got out of the military and went back to college. I was a straight A student in college when right. I got to college because it was a whole different scenario. I was I had matured a lot more and I had a lot more focus and I knew what I wanted. And when I was chasing aviation, it was easy to make A's. Right. You know, because you had your passion, <laughs> you had your focus. I mean, that's I think that's a lot of it. So just, you know, if, if you have the ability to donate to a scholarship, I want you to know that that it doesn't go unnoticed and it, it makes it changes someone's life. I mean, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have the scholarship. So you that. got the Santa seaplane scholarship, I think, for to start your seaplane journey. How do you start your seaplane journey? So that was, yeah, I got the James C. Ray scholarship and um, I applied for a couple different ones through the 99s and then women in aviation. She missed that. I said the Santa seaplane scholarship. What is, oh, I like that. <laughs> I actually thought that was an actual scholarship. I was like, no, Steve, I don't know what that is. So that... <laughs> That was my Christmas present one year. The only Christmas present I got because that, you know, kind of took the pot. Um, but my mom got it for me and she said, this will be fun. You know, this will widen your array of aviation knowledge and it's so beneficial. She had read up on it and she knew that it was going to help me 
as I continued my aviation journey. I'd already gotten my private by that point. And she said, she's never going to use this again, though. Yeah. <laughs> she said, How'd that work out? She's going to fly for five hours and, you know, get the rating and get all the experience and never going to fly again in a seaplane. Yeah, it didn't work out so far. So <laughs> after that, I, I went to college. I went to the University of West Florida and in communications. So talk real good. How about that? Yeah, I feel like this podcast, so you know, you're actually- my professor, my professor, refreshers. <laughs> <laughs> she talks real good. My professors would be so impressed. Like, oh, Abby, you're using your major. We're so proud of you. So, yes, um, I, I did this. I communications major. Good for me. And I came back home and I was working on my commercial and, um, I met the wife of the chief pilot of Shoreline Aviation in the gym in yes. Winter Haven. And so the same gym that Jim, that Steve's goes to <laughs> and the same gym that Harry Shannon goes to. And, and Chris Shannon. Shannon. It's, it's a weird small town. It's a, yeah, it's so a very so small knows. town thing. Uh, we all use the same trainer. <laughs> <laughs> He's a nice guy. I like Chris. He's good. So met the wife of the chief pilot of Shoreline Aviation and I had five hours and a private pilot um, was working on my commercial, had my private seaplane add-on. And she said, you should meet my husband. I said, he's not going to want to talk to me. I have five hours of seaplane time. He's not going to want to talk to me. Like, I'm, you know, I'll go have coffee. It'll be fine. I like talking to people. So <laughs> I met him for coffee. He said, yeah, you're pretty cool. I think, I think we could, we could, we could make something work. And so I went and I got my commercial. I got my commercial seaplane add-on and started working up in Connecticut. I lived in a trailer in New Haven, Connecticut and flew caravans on floats out of East Hampton into the East River every day. I'm a pilot. I'm a pilot. And I'm living in a trailer. <laughs> it was actually pretty nice. It was expensive. Yo, living in the Northeast, I don't know how anyone does it. Yeah. I lived on wheels and it was expensive. So it was, you know, but when I first got to this job, cool when I first got this job, you I lived came in a trailer. In, That's I, in right. such short notice. An yeah, yeah, these are all the stories that people don't know. <laughs> So it was, it was literally, they were like, can you be here in five days? And I'm like, well, it takes three days to drive across the country. Yes, I'll, I'll be there. So, um, my wife had, uh, Mary had found a place to rent and it was like an hour away and it was, it was like Charles Manson. It was scary. Um, and so I came to work and I was like, I, I can't do this commute. I can't stay. I think I stayed there one night and then I never went back, but Anne had a, a trailer in the sun and fun RV uh, campground. And so I wow. moved into an RV in the campground and, uh, went through a summer of, you know, uh, uh, central Florida thunderstorms, uh, living in a, in a small RV, uh, before we rented our first house. What you do for your passions though, you know, I mean, I was more than happy. I think there was one day where, cause we were on call. It was a summer job and you know, there's a season, up in up in New York doing this commuter East Hampton East River flights and then you know the charters up to the Adirondacks every once in a while and they called me and it was like okay somebody's sick can you be here in 10 minutes and I was cooking eggs and I had to stop in the middle of cooking eggs and so I came back home come back at night they're still there cooked (laughs) eggs on the anyway it's the dues that you pay and there's I'm more than happy and that was great experience flying the Cessna caravan. So you amazing. literally, you know, so you, you get, uh, you're working your tail off to go through school, making great grades. You get scholarships. Uh, you end up getting a seaplane rating for Christmas. Thanks, your mom. mom. Your mom thinks you're never going to use it again. <laughs> and then you end up moving up to the Northeast and flying mm-hmm. a Cessna caravan as a commercial seaplane pilot mm-hmm. with virtually no experience. Hey, you're an anomaly. I had you're my private and then my commercial seaplane. Do not call me a freak. But actually, <laughs> yes, you're a freak of nature. People don't get hired with that little time. You know, they they're you just got to get a little creative. If you're a nice person and you talk to people, there are operations out there that want to hire low hour seaplane pilots. You know, I can't speak to everyone's insurance requirements. I can't speak for every operator, but I just want you to know, you know, there, there are possibilities out there, so don't give up on it. So go to your local gym. <laughs> go to your local gym. <laughs> go to this local gym at Winter Haven. Yeah, you it's don't know very good for find. your employment possibilities. So, and <laughs> go th- find Eric Weaver's <laughs> wife. <laughs> so, and then one day, you uh, last summer, you walked into our office and we had a conversation. I think I don't think you were looking okay. to have a conversation yeah, with. So I I started working at Jack Brown's. You know, the season finished up at up in shoreline connecticut so i came back down 
and the rent was cheap because I lived at home. <laughs> so the rent was free. And so I got my CFI, started working at Jack Brown Seaplane Base where I had gotten my private and then my commercial upgrade. And I'd been working there and they started giving me more responsibilities. And so I'm going around, you know, handing brochures to hotels. I go to the FBO, you know, I'm updating all of Brown's material and I come into the SBA office and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm here to drop off brochures. Um, and I'd also like, you know, can you give me any SPA material to take back over to Brown's? Because we're literally five minutes away. So having these two jobs is pretty fantastic. It's just back and forth, <laughs> five minutes each way. So my driving time is pretty short. And then Steve was like, ooh, <laughs> what are you doing here? I actually don't even remember how that happened. Like, I think we just talked for a while and he's like, hey, I don't work here. No, I, not, no, it wasn't that. What was it? I'm trying to think of like what it was because I sat down for a formal interview and everything. Yeah. But no, they, I think originally uh, I just heard you talking and, and you had a lot of passion in your voice and you had mentioned maybe volunteering for mm -hmm. SPA and wanting to get you, you know, I just, I was in my office and I heard you talking to Ann and you started talking about wanting to get more engaged and, you know, make sure that more people were exposed to the association. And I was like, Ooh, this has possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> he did not say that out loud, though. I would have left very fast. <laughs> so, so I came out and I was like, who are you and where did you come from? Because you have a lot of passion for seaplanes. And um, uh, yeah, and so I, over the next, I don't know, two months or so, we talked a couple of times and uh, just endlessly impressed with your passion and of communication skills and everything else. Talk real good. And talk real good. Talk real she good. talks a good talk. You know, it's, I, I hope people, you know, I've been here nine months now and there, I just, I see so much for this organization and I'm just excited to be a part of where it's going in the future. So I, I'm not looking to sit at an organization that has no forward momentum and this organization does. You know, there's there's things happening. Maybe a little field too much forward momentum. No, it's exciting. You know, yeah. I mean, there's there's field director network overchange. There's a new website. You know, we have the app. We have this podcast. So it's working with Steve and seeing that you know he's open to these ideas because the organization still has room for growing. And so we just we love hearing from people. Really, if you have any ideas for us, or if you know about this podcast, or you know, we just, we love talking to people. We want to know what you think. Well, and again, we want to do what people want. I mean, ultimately yeah. we here at the Seaplane Pilots Association work for the members. Yeah. Our job is to give the members what they want mm -hmm. and what they need. And, you know, again, I find it a responsibility to open up new horizons and provide new experiences and new opportunities for learning. And that's what we're trying to do. And what's really exciting now is... We're getting more and more volunteers to join the team, such as David Hast, mm -hmm. who's been here all week. And those volunteers are going to really help us really realize our potential as an organization. We need to activate these volunteers. We need to give them a mission. We, we need to let them exercise their passion just like we're exercising our passion. And I, I was a volunteer. I mean, when I was working on the magazine, I was working all the trade shows as a volunteer, traveling all around the country on my own nickel, uh, volunteering in the booth and helping SPA and, and Mike Volk at the time. And so I want to provide that same vehicle. And what's nice is we're seeing more volunteers step up mm -hmm. right now. And the bigger the team gets, we don't lose anyone. Everyone, the more they get involved, the more they want to be involved, exactly. which is really incredible. I think because they kind of see the same thing that I saw when I first started here. You know, wow, I can be a part of the forward momentum. This, yeah. this organization is still working its way into what it could be. And I think it's it's just it's got a bright future. So with that in mind, if you are interested in volunteering for the Seaplane Pilots Association, we urge you to contact us at spa at seaplanes.org. Or if you're interested in volunteering specifically for AirVenture 2021 up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, please send me an email at abby at seaplanes.org. That's A-B-B-I-E at seaplanes.org. I was almost like the little, you know, the fast talking legal guy that comes on in the middle of a commercial. Or the at the end of a drug commercial yeah, or an auctioneer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm from the South, so I talk real fast. 
So um, this has been a rather long podcast by our standards at uh, approaching 50 minutes now. Oh, wow. But uh, we did want to take some time to just introduce Abby and I at a more in-depth level and tell you a little bit about our staff, uh, Ann Gaines and uh, Mark Twombly and all the people that are working with us. And again, explain some of the inner workings behind the scenes here and, and to try to provide you a window into who we are and what are our drivers and how we're working for you. So I hope it's been informative. It's not in, meant to be a, an ego piece for us. We just wanted you to know a little bit more about us. Rounding us out as hosts. Yes. I like it. So we will be back again with another hopefully exciting episode next week. We always appreciate your input. We are guiding this show around your feedback that you give us. The uh, the feedback has been tremendous. It has been. And we are having a blast doing the show and working for you, the members and the community. And a big shout out again to all the volunteers and the staff members. And until next time, blue skies and calm waters, fly safe and fly often. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events, not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.